0: S&P, the stops. This is Motley Fool Money.
1: Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that has the first current account surplus in 44 years. Well, not not us so much, but but the government and the country, and we're taking credit basically. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is my co-conspirator, co-current account surplus deliverer. And Iban Mahati. G'day, Doc. How are you?
2: G'day, Captain. I don't have a surplus in (laughs) mind. I would like to have a surplus. I would... current account, National current account surplus the first time in 44 years. Can you divide that by the 25 million people and then just get some checks? No. 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 (laughs)
1: not We've got a big show planned, mate. We've got a few things to cover off. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the trade war slash talk slash something. What's going on between... Presidents Trump and G, but not for long. Just just going to check in because the markets are loving what's just happened. We're going to talk about a new competitor for Afterpay. We're going to talk about speaking of first profit in years, the first current account surplus in years. Maya, the, the beleaguered department store. I think it's officially beleaguered. I think that's what we call it. As it's uh, finally turned a profit, maybe for the last time, or maybe maybe there's more to come. And a whole lot more. Let's get into it.
0: Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate. let's start off
1: with the big macro. And there's not much bigger or more macro than good old Donnie and, and President Xi sitting in a room, virtual room, across maybe a, a Zoom call or a Skype call or something. I don't want, wonder what they use.
2: Oh, they might use some secretive stuff. Well, maybe. That's pretty cool.
1: I like the idea. Maybe red te- the red telephone thing, I, I always like the idea of.
2: Big, with the big dials. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. It's yeah. got to be big dials. It's got to be, you know, got to be handset. The, the, whole the
2: thing. hotline. <laughs> it's, it's
1: called the hotline. <laughs> exactly. Mate, so the, the US market was up. So this is, we're recording this Friday morning, as we tend to do. The market was up strongly overnight. was up more the night before. And it all seems like it's because, well, crisis over. Trade talks are back on. Everything's okay again. Isn't it?
2: Well, you know, it looks like this is the movie I've seen playing before. Seems (laughs) like there's a crisis, then there are trade talks. And then there's a a crisis, then there's a trade talk. So right now, (laughs) it seems like there's going to be some talks in October. So the market is is going (laughs) to be happy. Maybe until October, and then at October, when when the talks may fail, oh, nice. market might be unhappy.
1: This has got more sequels than Rocky. This is this is this is Rocky Eight or something. This you is know. this is
2: this is like this is the um, television show that's you know, <laughs> rocking on with it's like you know the season two, season three, season four. Nobody wants to watch season five, but it's still giving you season five. I, I have uh, memories
1: of happy days and the whole jumping the shark <laughs> idea. That at some point the trade talks get to to the point of farce if they're not already. Okay, so that's all true. Except the market is not taking it as lightly as we are. Shares are up. Well, I mean, again, only only small percentages, but overall, decent amount of money up two and a half percent over two days. The, someone thinks this is good news.
2: Well, you know, here's the thing, right? So let's say the well, the tariffs. Have gone into effect, right? On a Mm -hmm. bunch of things, at least in the States. Um, So if the tariffs have gone up, uh, gone 15%. The Trump tax, I like to call it. uh, Okay. I'll just call them tariffs (laughs) for what they are. (laughs) I'll I'll let you do the politicking. (laughs) You know, I don't do politics, right? I'm I'm a very neutral person. I know. Uh, uh, I have uh, lots of opinions, but that's different. Um, so let's say, <laughs> you know, you're you, you, yeah, like 15%, 15% uh, extra, it's mm. things are costing, but at the same time, you've got, um, you know, the, uh, the Chinese currency weakening. So, you know, it's like, is it really 15%? It's no longer 15%, right? Because the currency has weakened. So maybe it's like only like 5%, I don't know, right? So uh, there's all these little dynamics and then, you know, uh, uh, goods being moved around because you can move things around. So nobody really... I mean, sometimes I think the reaction to the downside is... is an overreaction mm. at the same time as, you know, like nothing really has happened. People are saying that they're going to be talking in the future <laughs> and in anticipation of this talk in the oh, future, which nice. could get canceled anytime before between now and the future. Yep. Uh, the stocks have gone up. So yeah, it's a little bit of a, like a So I think that's the best way to put this is there's just more volatility. Um, and maybe this is more like normal volatility because we've had mm. a period of time where volatility has just not existed. Yep. Yep. Um, so, you know, we should just get used to the the fact that this markets are supposed to be volatile because if they are not volatile everybody would be in the market and then we would not get the market returns
1: and speaking of president trump apparently the cyclone's going to hit alabama i heard yesterday uh,
2: that that's the nothing one? to do with tariffs someone with a map i have no idea yeah, that was
1: pretty that was pretty funny if you haven't seen it google google president trump alabama cyclone it's um it's pretty funny all right shall we move on yeah, can i use uh, bing
2: for search oh, you can't
1: use bing for search <laughs> bing seriously yes i know he's a character from friends isn't he
2: Oh, no. It's a beautiful search engine from Microsoft. Dear,
1: oh dear. Stand by.
0: Get more motley full money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: All right, mate. We're going to leave Bing there. Well, let's bring this back home. Uh, this, is, this is a pretty – so, look, you know, if you're a slightly economic wonk, and I might possibly fit that bill, the first current account surplus in 44 years is pretty bloody impressive. Not much it only happens once every 44 years, right? I think Halley's comment about 187 years. Our economic boom has lasted for about 28 years, but 44 years since the last time Australia had a current account surplus. Now, basically, and there's lots of maths behind this, but effectively, we exported more than we imported. That gives us a current account surplus. Largely, don't, if you're a super economic wonk, don't spam me with stuff because I know it's not exactly the definition, but it's close enough for our purposes. You know, we're we're a trading nation. It is the first time in a very, very long time, almost half a century, that we've delivered a current account surplus. And there's a couple of things here. I'll get your thoughts in a minute, but I just wanted to highlight two things. The first is that, yes, and we'll talk about GDP numbers in a sec. GDP numbers are a bit soft, and the current account surplus contributed about 0.5% to growth, which is about a third of the growth that we delivered. So that's that's a pretty good result. The other thing is that this is exactly what a floating currency is supposed to do, right? I saw someone on Twitter say, yeah, yeah, it wasn't Twitter. It was actually one of our one of our blokes on Skype. Actually, he so said, "Yeah, yeah, but if you exclude the currency movements, then it was less than that GDP number." This is. It's like, "Yeah, that's kind of the point, right? Currencies are supposed to float." And get out of KG if he's listening. Uh, currencies are supposed to float. That's kind of the point. So when people talk about the currency being lower, and there's some sort of you know national kind of, I don't know. I didn't, I'm trying to avoid any um, vulgar, uh, uh, you know, um, comparisons here. But it's some sort of measuring contest, right? When you think, well, the dollar's high, therefore it's good, and dollar's low, therefore that's bad, and higher is better and bigger is better, so therefore if the dollar's lower, then somehow that's some sort of national tragedy. It's kind of what's supposed to happen. When the economy is weaker than the rest of the world, when when you know our exporters need a little bit of extra help and the dollar's lower, that's exactly what's supposed to happen. So I kind of figure, yes, would the GDP have been worse if if you know the currency didn't float? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of why it floats. That's almost the point in itself. So Good current account numbers. I don't think it'll be sustained at that level. A record number, by the way, which you would expect because in 44 years, the inflation's gone up a little bit. So you'd expect that to be a record. Whether it continues is probably an open question, but this is exactly an example of why, kind of crappy if you're going to America anytime soon, you're not going to get much for your Australian dollar. But if you're an exporter, if you're sending wheat or oil or iron ore or manufactured goods or wool or anything else around the world, a lower currency helps our economy in in a period of weakness.
2: Cool. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, that's all all correct. Um, don't my, say butt. But, but I, have my, 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 I have a but, Actually, to this, I actually don't care at all about that surplus. <laughs> and the reason I don't care, I'll give you an example. Okay, I'll, I'll make up an example. On the spot is always dangerous. All right. Okay. So let's say I'm a uh, uh, you know I have the Scott Phillips Shoe Company. <laughs>
1: <laughs> be, it's uh, some snazzy shoes. Just okay. Quietly.
2: Okay. The, the, the Scott shoe company is registered in Barrow, uh, or Mittagong or, you know, wherever, or Wagga Wagga, yes. uh, is the headquarters. Yes. And you have this brilliant design and this beautiful design is very Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody in the world wants, uh, you know, wants it, right? Yes. Uh, including, As Austral- well should. Uh, in, including Australians, but we don't make it here. Uh, we make it in Vietnam. Yep. Right. And uh, let's say we make all the stuff that, you know, we create the IP for all the stuff, but yes. it's actually made elsewhere. So mm-hmm. we import that stuff. <laughs> so you're, say,
1: you're saying the best thing I bring to it is my fashion sense.
2: Well, but you know, but so you, <laughs> so you import it, but, <laughs> right, right. so you as a company still own all the profits for that, right? Yes. This doesn't show up yes. in, in the current account surplus, Correct. does it? Right? So, I mean, you know, this is a little bit of a, so I think the current account surplus is a good measure and it's a good measure for a country like ours, which sends a lot of uh, raw goods, Correct. Um uh, raw material for other people to produce stuff out of it, which could be construction or, you know, making cars or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's an indication of that. But, you know, that's why I just don't, you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing, but, you know, it, just, it, it doesn't, you know, current found deficit doesn't necessarily mean it's bad either, right? It just depends, I think.
1: I think that's true. I think that's true. I, I just wanted to, I guess, make the point that overall, a floating currency does what it's supposed to do. And so to some degree, I just want—I want people not to be too freaked out or worried about the fact the dollar falls because again, fall sounds bad, rise sounds good. It's supposed to move to offset economic weakness locally. That's exactly what I agree with that. Do.
2: I agree with the currency part completely. I mean, the currency should move based on, you know, say, in fact, a, a lower currency impact implies that our economy is actually not that strong.
1: Right. Re- relative to the rest of the relative world. Relative exactly.
2: worse, and And therefore, it's making our exports, uh, which in this case happens to be iron ore or coal and mm-hmm. whatever else. And mm-hmm. it's making it competitive, which is exactly how it should work. And that, that part I totally agree with. We agree on stuff today.
1: We'll edit that out later. No, okay. no one wants to hear that. Okay. Let's move on.
0: Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, we've talked
1: about afterpay quite a lot in this podcast, and it's because it is, well, frankly, as a stock, it's probably the almost the hottest stock in the land. There might be one or two more, but not, not many. Um, a spectacular rise. A huge number of customers, a huge number of merchants, at last count, 5.2 million customers, that's probably makes it the biggest kind of retail exposed business outside the credit card companies and the banks in the country. 35,000 merchants here and around the world. And so it's no surprise that there is a truckload of competitors turning up to take its place. We know Zip has been around for what for a while. We've heard of Split It. That's kind of it hasn't quite hit the big time, but it's around. Bumble is a new one that was announced by the Flexi Group mob, the people behind Surtegy <laughs> EasyPay, the best brand in the world. So no one ever. <laughs> and and now. Good old Jerry Harvey, at Hardly Normal, has done a deal with Latitude, which it's one of those, you know, not many people would know Latitude. It is the biggest non-bank lender in the country, mm. which I've got to say, I was surprised to read. I, I, try, and keep my, I can't try and get my attention on, on these sorts of things. It's a private company, so that's part of the reason we haven't heard about it. But most people, if you ask them to name a number of lenders, most people wouldn't even mention Latitude, let alone it be the largest non-bank lender in the country. But it's, those two are teaming up. Latitude and Harvey Norman to offer a thing called Latitude Pay. So I guess what that is. Yep, no surprise. It's buy now, pay later. Things are getting a bit interesting in this space, mate. Now, we've talked a little bit in the past about Afterpay, a little bit in the past about the kind of economic impact of these services that let us kind of push payments into the never-never. Just your thoughts on on another buy now, pay later competitor, what's happening in the space. I should say, too, one of the big things that Latitude is making a very, very big song and dance about is – they are saying, hey, we are voluntarily going to be subjected to the National Credit Code, whereas the likes of Afterpay and Zip choose not to be and are not required to be because of the fact they are not charging interest. So there's some sort of regulatory arbitrage potential there. Your thoughts on latitude and, and where this space is right now?
2: Cool. Uh, good question. So, um, okay. Let me give you a stat cool, okay, cool. first. So, we like numbers. Um, numbers are good. Afterpay yes. is adding – about 12,000 people, customers, per day. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. 12,000. Right. So so that kind of... Do we know the breakdown geographically, just out of interest? Oh, well, like, I mean, you know what, they had in 15 weeks, one of the fastest, you know, what, 200,000 people or something like that in the UK. That was their fastest adoption. That's, that's I think. So, so one of the things that's happening with Afterpay mm. is, which I think is interesting, is um, the, the brand basically developed its strategy. Mm-hmm. In Australia, right, uh, and then they've you know they've expanded to New Zealand, right. Then they went to the US, and then for the US, they launched with you know things like you know Urban Outfitters, like big brands and big yeah. big um, retail partners, and they rolled it out there.
1: I'm going to sell my shoes there at Urban Outfitters.
2: You can yeah, you yeah. can so you, you know you're, the company head, headquartered in Wagga Wagga, <laughs> it can sell it at, at Urban Outfitters, <laughs> and they can pay with Afterpay, which so they can pay with Afterpay, right? right? So everybody is a winner. So all the money comes to Australia then, <laughs> yep. right? Um, now. When they went to the UK, Mm -hmm. seeing the success that these guys have had, urban outfitters have had in the US, they have, you know, people are volunteering and putting their hands up and Mm -hmm. saying, okay, we are really happy to launch, be the launch partners for you. Mm -hmm. Seeing the retailers are basically helping attract clients for, or customers for Afterpay. And
1: that was the the great Afterpay success story. So way back, I remember when it was first launched, I'm an idiot because I didn't buy the shares or even recommend them. But I remember them talking about the fact it was something like they were growing, the basket size the number of customers in retailers in the, the trial retailers they had by some stupid number, was forty percent or something yeah. dumb. Like it was and not not I'm not saying dumb is in their lying. On, this is legitimately great, right? So this is this was why that was they were accepted so quickly. They were able to show really, really clearly hmm. to every retailer they went to, if you offer off pay, this is the impact we are having in other retail partners, that that's <laughs> no no was gonna sneeze at that, right? They all want a piece of that pie. Yeah. And then you multiply mod- 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 that by the next Thirty-five thousand merchants, as I said. Yeah. No surprise they're getting getting people to take it up in different countries. Uh,
0: so, so I think
2: you know what you know they have, they've got a well-oiled engine and mm-hmm. they've demonstrated success. And you know it's, this is one of those things where the success sort of breeds more success, right? Yeah. And and uh, the the point the reason I brought up Urban Outfitters as an example is that mm-hmm. this is an international brand, right? It's so an international brand which finds success say locally would be happy to actually carry. The afterpay success to other markets, right? right? So, right, right. so going, you know, it's a it's a great strategy. Start in Australia, small market, d- demonstrated. Go mm-hmm. to the US, the largest brand market in the world. Mm-hmm. Most of those brands are available internationally. So, if you're successful there, you can right. carry your success to other markets. It now,
1: almost you that leapfrog effect, right? Because you're saying, well, if I can get if I can get the global guys to like it they'll roll it out for me almost for me countries. exactly
2: so yeah. this is brilliant strategy and it took me a while to actually sort of figure the strategy out but you know this, mm-hmm. this is a brilliant strategy now with if if you add that kind of customers every day and people see that you're being successful well you know success brings uh, right. c- a competition which is exactly what is happening right, right. now it is I think there's the. So I don't think this is a like a winner's take all type of market. And it doesn't even have to be. It's a, like okay. a huge market, right? And and there are different types of, you know, payment modules, right? People, you know, uh, who use it. So Afterpay, for example, 85% of their people are paying back via debit card, not credit card. So this is okay. not the credit card market. Yep, This is the debit card market. Right, right. Right. So this is another way for those people to pay. Um, Other people can participate. Now, of course, the other people have to find a launch partners, like, for example, Latitude has found, like, you know, um, Harvey Norman. Right, right. But it's a different market because they're, you know, Harvey Norman and and, uh, Latitude, they're basically participating in this bigger packet, Mm. bigger payments. Now, Afterpay is doing something like this called a variable upfront pay. That's you know so basically instead of doing four equal payments, what Afterpay is saying that you can choose to pay more upfront. That's your variable pay, mm-hmm. and then you make three equal installments, and that allows you to you know buy say tickets and you know this. So they have a partnership, for example, with um So it gets you allows you to get into this travel sector where sure. the payment you know when where you're not buying no longer buying a hundred dollar jeans or mm-hmm. two hundred dollar mm-hmm. shoe, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so in fact Afterpay is inching into these other markets which people like you know Latitude for example Latitude finances for like and if you want to buy a phone latitude mm, to finance a like you want to buy a sofa so I think there's some intersection here maybe some not not you know there's some overlap but not that much of an overlap mm. um, does it worry me not really I mean uh, the fact that these guys have gone ahead and established a beachhead in many of these um, with these many of these brands no, it is really hard for the mm. other guys to catch up, and even, but they can be, you know, in this different niche sectors, they could be successful. I mean, in a way, Latitude is basically playing in exactly the same. Latitude has been for years financing, uh, you know, Harvey Norman furniture, mm. right? Mm. So, I mean, this is just another way of saying, well, I'll continue doing that, but I'll also give this other model that people want, right? Yep. Uh, so it's incrementally maybe better for Latitude and Harvey Norman.
1: Net-net. Net, net. Not worried about afterpay, maybe something the latitude. I I can't you, imagine. You know, I'll, I'll
2: tell you, I'm worried about afterpay from one point of view, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, and maybe I'm less worried now. Uh, what I'm worried about is in this part of this this part of if uh, of the economic cycle, mm. where you know, there's not been a recession for like what, like twenty nine years. This is like a huge record. You know, it'll be great that there's never a recession, but. <laughs> Uh, maybe there isn't another one for like many, many years, but who knows, right? I mean, the thing is that recessions are a reality. They do happen, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that this hasn't happened for a long time is an issue, and yeah. therefore, it is during these uh, cycles of downturns is when we would know whether or not their uh, systems of checks and balances right, of, you know, right. actually work or not. The good news is that they have diversified before a, rever- mm-hmm. a recession happens, and mm-hmm. they've gone to other markets. Which I assume there's a no go-
1: global recession, of course. Yes,
2: again, we don't know. So yeah, if right. there's a global recession, that's one thing. If there's a local recession, that's another thing. Yep. If there are recessions in a, lo- in, a, in a large market that they participate in, that's another thing. Like there could be a recession right, in the right, US and no recession here, for example, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How does that affect? We don't know, and that's the risk yeah. that we are taking because they have they they're basically taking the credit risk, right? And it's, yeah. that's what worries me. So I, I
1: on that credit, we won't we won't spend too much more time on this. But if you think about a credit card company that charges me four hundred bucks a year for the for the card itself, and then charges me twenty percent if I'm overdue on anything, versus a buy now pay later provider who takes all the same credit risk in theory, shorter periods of time, smaller amounts. So take all that for, for as read. But they are charging a much, much lower margin on the money, like a much lower margin on the money. At some level, yes, the banks are making a squinting bucks on credit cards, and that's a horribly uncompetitive space. And we'll talk about that, funnily enough, in a Money Hacks edition coming up, so stay tuned for that one. Uh, but the at some level, I just it just strikes me that if you can provide the same service for literally a fifth of the margin, effectively, a fifth of the price, if you think about it that way, um, it... it <laughs> It does. It does make me worry that maybe some of these companies are be, are going to be more exposed. Otherwise, the credit card companies could, in a competitive market, have already pushed rates down to this. Even the even the not-for-profit, you know, the the credit unions and the member-owned banks are still charging twelve percent on credit cards. It's it's a yeah. very very big drop to three or four percent. That that after now they're getting paid by the retailers. That's different. But to some degree, they're still taking a decent amount of credit risk. with a... Oh, it's, not, it's not a bad balance sheet, but it's not as Stronger balance sheet as maybe some of the other financial institutions around.
2: Yeah. So my, my quick comment to that would be that yes, there's a risk, right? But I think the bigger risk is not with afterpay. The bigger risk is a that- people that are coming in now right, like the right. latitudes and the certiges and the bumbles mm. who are basically taking a product that would have allowed them to get a 20 percent interest when people fail to pay on time mm. and now have moved it to <laughs> yeah. a afterpay model so they're the ones i think who are you know i think in great danger of actually folding and, yeah, and, right. and getting into real trouble um when you know well the times are bad right i mean when the times are bad and you want to buy your jeans you're probably going to buy your jeans but mm. when your times are bad you might actually default on your sofa and Harvey Norman is not going to come and take that so far away from her. Latitude is not going to come. Harvey Norman's got the money, so now Harry, Harry Norman doesn't have the problem. Latitude <laughs> <laughs> is probably not going to come to your home and take that so far away because you know they're going to get nothing for it, right. right? So I think that I think the problem is for these bigger bigger payment packets and and things like that. So uh, I, I don't think I think net net i think again it's after pay is targeting this environment where it's looking at millennial people it's mm. looking at people who are actually paying by debit cards so it's it's it, the intersection is actually relatively small yeah, yeah. um you know so i actually fe- i'm more fearful about the bigger packet ones the bigger the ones who are mm. actually offering mm. more credit um right, right, and right. and therefore taking more risk right uh, across a smaller set of customers that's a good point uh
1: last last question quick answer if you fast forward X number of years to this, this market becomes mature, how many meaningfully sized buy-now pay-later providers are there going to be? You, you already mentioned. So one I didn't mention was uh, Comsec has made an investment. Is it Klana? I think the, the Swedish yeah. mob. Mm-hmm. They're apparently going to launch that here, I heard, mm-hmm. uh, during the week. Mm. That's yet another buy-now. Uh, I think it's six I can count to already. Um, I'm betting, betting that won't be the last one. In five years' time, man, how many of these are there?
2: Well, like, I mean, I would say maybe three, four, five. Like, I mean, you know, I think it could, the market could be very similar to how the credit card market has evolved, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, or, or the, you know, the credit. Uh, payment gateway markets, right? right? I mean, right. there's American Express, there's you know Visa, there's Mastercard, and then there are you know these other ones like yeah, Diners yeah. and the much smaller ones, more exclusive, more. Um, yeah, so maybe five, six would be my guess okay. at, at the max, but it's probably going to be like you know couple leaders is is r- right now. There is nobody really that's challenging after pay in a meaningful way.
1: Mate, i lie, i have one more question for you it just occurred to me then
2: this looks like i'm giving an
1: interview here (laughs) sorry at
2: least at least maybe i should get a raise if i answer them correctly
1: i promise you i'll pay you double the podcast rate that's like almost zero correct exactly zero um in fact i'll triple it (laughs) there you go mate so what's good good. (laughs) what i like what i I think is interesting about bumble now bumble is being offered by flex group as i mentioned Mm -hmm. it's actually promising to do it without involving the retailer at all and so the interesting thing about bumble in my mind is if it's successful It requires an app on my phone, but the retailer doesn't necessarily have to accept or otherwise take that particular payment method. Bumble manages the payment through the MasterCard network. So at some point, I do wonder if you have a thought as to, after I may have christened this market, how much risk is there in... At the moment, it's like the the retailer offers it so I can use it, which is great, same with Zip. At some point, though, if, if this all becomes appified effectively directly and you can choose whichever app you want to use to pay your bill rather than relying on the retail own infrastructure or deals does that undercut afterpay or does it have enough brand recognition and place in the market or is it simply just a better model how do you think about the rise of the kind of it's effectively i mean bumble's effectively a credit card by another name right but to the extent that afterpay was effectively debit card by another name over yes a couple of extra payment periods um the likes of bumble could well disrupt Afterpay's own category only a couple of short years after it was launched
2: so that's potential. So I don't know exactly how. So how is Bumble making the money is the question, right? How is credit card interchange fees? Okay, so credit card. So, so like, you know, there's a higher chance that Bumble will be killed by somebody like Apple Pay, right? right. So somebody like Apple Pay will probably destroy and, you know, and trample. So Bumble
1: gives you the chance to do the, the, the multiple payments, right? So uh, Bumble's no, so combining the, the credit card infrastructure yeah. with the, with a pay later solution in a way that no one else is yet. I'm not saying it's going to be successful, by the way. I have no idea. But it just strikes me that if you can take buy now, pay later and appify yeah. it that potentially undercuts the retail point-of-sale methodology which Zip and Afterpay are using.
2: Yeah, so the two things, right? So one is, as I said, um, most of the people who are using Afterpay are mm. not credit card holders. Sure. They do not hold credit cards, so they're not using credit cards. So that's a mm. different market, number one. Uh, number two is that I think whatever Bumble is doing mm. is likely that if Bumble can do it, Somebody like, you know, Google Pay and Apple Pay can do it. And therefore, right. I think Bumble's strategy is, I think, at a much higher risk than anything else, okay. right? Because, um, I mean, you know, if I have if, – if that is successful, there's nothing mm-hmm. that stops Apple from doing exactly the same right. thing with the Apple card.
1: And I don't assume in Bumble being successful per se, i more at the impact on Afterpay itself. Yeah, so- if, if that becomes Apple rather than retail-led.
2: Yeah, so I think there is an appify chances there. But I think, again, that has a direct impact on banks and credit cards. Mm. And, um, you know, there's an opportunity here for banks to offer a different form of product right, right 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 and i would say it's going to be tech led like right? exactly what apple is doing mm. with goldman sachs mm. in the u.s like you know it's a different type of credit card with points and you know no fees and, and no late fees or whatever it is like you know no interest fees or whatever. i don't know exactly what it is but um n- no late fees but there is interest fees if you of course i think payments. you know instant instant uh rewards offered mm. as cash so i think there is a chance that tech players will disrupt um the credit card side of the market, mm. right? So, and these guys not going for now. Of course, there's going to be an intersection, where, as I said, you know, they're trying to go for this variable payment, which is which is right. the credit card side. So, yeah. So, the, the, there's going to be competition, but it seems to me, at least right now, their bigger risk is an economic risk than competitive risk. Okay. In my mind, economic risk, a recession, a global recession, are even now an Australian recession. Mm. I think it is you know it's, it could actually. Be the problem, mm. right? So I, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know they're executing very well. They've got a really you know class team now, um, yeah. So I, I think it, it's it's good. And people just need to realise that it's you know it's risky for for, mm. for for those reasons. That's my take at least.
1: Topic for another day, mate. But there's a lot of cheap money sloshing around the market. I mean, some of these things are made available because there's a whole lot of cheap cash going around. I do wonder whether a Latitude Pay, a Bumble or whatever would get off the ground three years ago, or maybe in three years' time when money's a little bit tighter and there's not as much just super low interest cash being sloshed around the, the VC market in particular
0: that
2: is so true i mean i mean the market basically well there's cheap you know the money's cheap and it's becoming cheaper right everybody's expecting more rate cuts you know and that's not just here it's like you know i've heard comments like you know negative rates are coming so let's see. value stocks market
0: stock market index share market this is modley full money subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au. Forward slash triple M,
1: Mate, speaking of negative rates, let's talk about negative sales. Poor old Meyer. Yet again, negative same-store sales of 1.3%. That is that they made $100 worth of sales last year. This year, $98.70 worth of sales. You can't run a business that way. Except that for the first time in a very long time, I think nine years, Meyer actually delivered a profit. It feels like more than nine years, I've got to say, but... Uh, this square that circle for me, mate. You've got, a, you've got a business that can't seem to grow, yet goes from loss to profit. What sort of alchemy magic is being weaved by the Meyer board? it
2: has got to be some accounting magic. I haven't <laughs> looked into this because <laughs> this sounds, oh, you know, like Meyer is a big box format, right? Yep. It's got big fixed costs. So I don't know how you can actually go from loss to profit. Um, well, I have a guess. I'll take a guess. Maybe they've sold some buildings <laughs> or sold something, and they've booked an accounting profit for selling that stuff, which is basically then showing up in the statutory books without looking at the books. That's my best guess.
1: Yeah, a couple things going on there. That, that I don't know about that necessarily. A couple things I have done is they've closed some stores and they closed some loss-making stores. So if you can kind of if you can cut off the the gangrenous limb to use a little bit grotesque metaphor, um, you can all of a sudden become healthier by by comparison. Um, so if you can close a loss-making store, then guess what? You lose less money with the rest of the network. That can help. They've also renegotiated some supply chain stuff, some supplier uh, costs, that kind of thing. So there, this is a little bit of an engineered result. I love, by the way, companies who can do that. They do a good job of managing costs. That's super important. But really important to remember that you can't cut your way to greatness that someone wise once said. I can't remember who it was, but I've used it ever since. Um, at some point... The kind of year-on-year savings you make from that stuff go away, and you've got to still try and find a way to get more people to come into your shop and spend more money while they're there. If you can't do that, it's a very, very tough business to be in. I think that remains the risk for Maya. On the flip side, so earnings season was funny, mate. We kind of talked about this during earnings season. Retail was a really interesting mixed bag. The department stores, Maya and DJs, really struggled at a sales level, and certainly for DJs at a profit level. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, Maya, Target, Big W, sorry, Kmart, Target, Big W struggled in the discount department store space. Similar story, and yet we did see some success. Harvey Norman, uh, Jerry Harvey, his usual rambunctious self was was very positive and hanging some um, stuff on his competitors. JB Hi-Fi did well. Super Retail did well. Catman Do also did well. There was there was a decent number of kind of success stories in retail, and some businesses that got hurt. And I, I don't want to I don't want to do too simplistic a story here. But it seems like online retail might have been a meaningful differentiator between these businesses. DJs and Maya still can't quite get online to work as well as they want to. The likes of JB, even Harvey Norman, belatedly and surprisingly for me, um, Super Retail similarly, these guys have done a really, really great job of turning their business into quasi-online models, at least for that part of their business. And that, to some degree, seems to be, in fact, their saving grace, certainly a big contributor to what was, frankly, a very good result. I mean, some of these companies did, you know, had a very good result um, now, the market wasn't expecting much, so you know, that, that helps. But these were you know, in, in tough economic times. We've talked about um, you know, retail sales being soft. We've alluded to the fact that GDP growth was the lowest in, what, 10 years. Um, these retail numbers on some cases pretty good in other cases pretty diabolical.
2: Yeah, like, I mean, I think, you know, there's good retailers, right? I mean, JB has, kind, mm. you know, isn't JB, I thought, it's one of the highest shorted stocks on the yes, S- it is. ASX or something <laughs> like that? But, like, I mean, you know, if you're a good executor, you yep. continue executing. But I think here's the problem with, you know, a- anybody making a negative bet, as long as they can hang on to their negative bet, there mm. is going to be a time when they're going to fail. <laughs> because, uh, you know, and that's, you know, like any good thing stumbles mm. occasionally, right? And the, so when
1: you say fail, you mean more, more that stumble rather than
2: fail? Yeah, I way. don't mean like a fail as a business at all. Like, I mean, yep. JB is phenomenal as, as an executor but you know like these businesses have just high fixed costs Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and you make a profit on you know the Delta over that Mm -hmm. so you know there's gonna be a time when you know you make a smaller Delta Mm -hmm. right and and it's just it's not that it is it can just happen so Mm -hmm. I think you know again I think some of these these I think the big box ones are kind of struggling is Mm -hmm. my opinion like you know things like you know the the Myers does it's too big right so there's huge upfront rent costs Mm -hmm. involved Mm -hmm. too many items in the stock. You have huge inventory. Um, so so I think that, yeah, that hurts. And that, you know that's why things like you know Toys R Us and stuff have closed. But the, the smaller ones, yeah, mm. they're doing well. And I mean people need stuff, right? Mm. People, mm. you know, JBs, at least in the, in the the one JB Hi-Fi that I cross by. It's like always teeming with people. I just don't understand what people are buying. But it's, it's, f- fascinating, f- right? it's fascinating, full of people. So
1: this was a $20 stock by the way, at the beginning of this year. Now a $33 stock. Again, of more than 50%. In a, in a traditional <laughs> retailer, in theory, was going to get destroyed by yeah. Amazon and Kogan and a recession and everything else. Um, as you say, I think that's right. I, I, what is the lesson here? Is it is it is it to always buy quality? Is it to back the ones that have got momentum and, and growth? Is it to – how do you yeah. – if you can, how do you explain the JB success? Even even the last nine months, what did the market? What was the market so badly wrong about? Why? What lessons are there for long term investors in this, if any? You
0: no, know,
2: well, uh, so I don't know. Like so, you know, it's a, this is a hard one because you know personally, I just look at uh, retail and I think it's just too hard, and I just don't buy. Right, right. Uh, it's too hard. It's you know, limited runway for growth. So it's like it's a really value picking area, yeah. right? You know, yeah. so if you if you thought value there was value and you you know and if you if you have the tenacity to hold through like you know some ups and downs <laughs> then, then there is an opportunity to buy these things at value and then you know sell when they become overvalued right, okay. you need to have a good understanding of you know the low and the high end I, i'm not suggesting trading but really it goes from being Pessimistically priced to very optimistically priced, <laughs> right. and then it basically cycles around that.
1: You don't have to be a trader to do that, right? That that is that is some pretty stock standard, value ish type investing where you're just simply saying, look, at this price it's too hard to ignore, yeah, and at that price it's too hard to ignore selling it because if I'm being offered a stupid price to buy and then a stupid price to sell in a different way, yeah, absolutely, you, you're kind of mad not to do it, yeah, because there's no unlimited growth story here. A, a, a big software company with with a world of opportunity can grow for decades. Um a so kind of retailer, but only at very very small rates, because at some point JB Haifa would be bigger than the Australian economy, and so at some point there was a price where if the market says, "Hey, I'm going to give you 20 times earnings for, you know, for for a huge you know, un." un uh, kind of un- unrepeatable level of profit. Well, you're kind of mad not to take it. Exactly. Right?
2: Exactly. So I, I think yeah. So it's that's I think maybe that's the right strategy with many of these okay. things. Um, yeah, and I would still not short it because you know again, <laughs> it, that's just 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 too much risk. You know, too much timing risk involved, and mm. you know again, your limited upside and things like that. So. Um yeah. I mean again there's good good retailers and bad retailers and you yeah. know online doesn't kill everything and you know you have to remember the you know the retail as definition is like mm-hmm. everybody is basically operating on small margins even the online guys right they're yep. all operating on oh, small yeah, yeah, margins. Yeah. So um yeah.
1: I mean I i, mean, I had some thoughts man. I, I'm I'm more a retail investor than you um which isn't hard because you don't invest in retail at all so <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't take much. Um I, I, look I think the story here is is I think the businesses that are that have the right um, economic model are the ones that are going to be successful. And I think, you know, mm. DJs and Meyer were, I've said this before, were the shopping centres of the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Mm. You now, Westfield didn't exist meaningfully until about 1980. I mean there's some, some around all that kind of stuff, right? Mm. But for the longest time, if you went into, and this was this was the this was a suburban experience, you went into the city and whichever city you're in around Australia or town, and you went to the shop that had everything. And DJs and Meyer were the and even the discount department stores for the same degree. You get toys and clothes and gardening stuff and car stuff. And, you know, the, these were the one-stop shops. You went to the shop, mm. <laughs> the mire of the day. You had, you had lunch there. You, you did your full shopping. You bought your shoes and your pants and everything else at the, at the one shop. And then the the shopping centre arrived in a really, really big way. And now you can go across the hallway, across the aisleway. And you can go from a specialty re- shoes retailer to a specialty clothes retailer to a specialty car retailer. Um, we've talked about a few of them already. Mm. That 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 change when all of a sudden you couldn't just be the only place people went.
2: Mm.
1: Now you've got to think. Well, why would you go to a Myra or DJ's? Why would you go to a Big W or a Target? You can get it online. You can get it in a different shop. At some at some level, there's just not the the same customer demand. And I think as a one thing that's important, by the way, is to remember, as a consumer, not to not to project your own shopping preferences. Mm. If I did, um, I would never have bought a whole lot of retail shares that, frankly, I never would shop at because I know other people do, and that's the important part. If you see relevant companies that are doing a really good job of being relevant, as you said, mate, one of those kind of Peter Lynch, who's a famed US fund manager, one of his tests was literally you walk past the shop, and you've, as you said, the, the JB HoFO fi near you, chockers- Well, that's a pretty good place to start to say, hey, they're doing something right. Even if it doesn't instinctively appeal to you, even if you would never walk into a JB Hi-Fi, I'm not saying you would or not, by the way, but if you didn't, um, you can still look at a whole lot of people and they go, wow, they've got something going on there. I wonder what it is. And I think while you can remain that relevant, while you can actually provide a shopping experience in in a holistic sense that is better than jumping online or better than going somewhere else, that's a pretty good sense that you're going to be at least an interesting stock candidate, not always, And you have to be very careful because, as I said, they can turn on a dime. DJ's was once a wonderful business. Now, it's not so much. Um, That can happen, right? And we need to be aware and and, and aware of those changes. But in the meantime, if you can keep a relevant – I've said lots of times. If you can sell more products to more people over time, that's a pretty good recipe for growth. And generally speaking, depending on price, a pretty good recipe for investment success.
0: Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: Mate, I'm going to get on my high horse. Do it. I've had enough. Do it. I'm mad as hell. I'm opening the window. I'm not going to take it anymore. (laughs) Mate, seriously. I saw during the week a tweet from someone who claims to know, and I I can't verify this, so I will leave it in the allegedly camp. It's reported that Westpac is suggesting or proposing, potentially proposing, a 35-year mortgage. That's right, we're not in enough debt yet. We're not borrowing enough money yet. We're not paying interest for long enough yet. Westpac wants to pay more. They give us an extra five years to pay off the loan. Not out of the goodness of their heart, but because they get to make some extra money in the process. This is quite literally one of the worst financial ideas, not easy to say, of the last 12 months at least. Now, this is the year we've had raw commissions and more buy-now, pay-lators you can poke a stick at. There are more ways for us to gamble and lose money. And yet somehow cloaked in the special clothes of financial decency is the idea of a 35-year mortgage. Now, let's sit down and have a think about this for a second. A 35-year mortgage, yes, guess what? You pay slightly lower monthly repayments. Is that great? No, (laughs) because any money you don't pay now, guess what? Sits in that account and compounds. Mm -hmm. If you're not paying an extra couple hundred bucks a month today, that couple hundred bucks you're not paying today is worth a couple of thousand dollars. By the time you finally get around to paying it, In 2043, right? This is the big problem with longer mortgages. They feel good because they pay less per month. You've got to pay more in interest. Now, some people have said to me, no, 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 it's okay. Yeah, you pay a little bit more interest, but at least people can afford houses because the repayments are lower, right? So I can now afford to buy that house because I'm now paying a couple hundred bucks less a month. Luckily, that's inside my budget, which would be wonderful, Doc, except what happens, mate, when everyone gets more time to pay?
2: Um, They pay more interest. They
1: pay more interest, and... They all decide, you know what? If I can if I can uh, pay a little up. bit less per month, well, I can afford to borrow a bit more, can't I? So, for the <laughs> for the repayments are going to charge me 2 grand a month in repayments. Now it's 1800 bucks. Brilliant. Except Mr. Bank Manager, friendly old bank manager says, "You know what, Scott? You can still borrow enough to pay off $2000 a month. That means your borrowing capacity goes up by 10%. Guess what? You can now pay $600,000 for that house instead of 550. How good's that?" And when we all have more borrowing capacity, mate, the prices go up, which is wonderful if you own a house. I own a house. I'm happy with that. Mm -hmm. For those poor bastards who are trying to borrow money, guess what? We all get locked into 35-year loans. Now, some people have said to me, this is the last one. Some people have said to me, you know what? That's fine, but people won't do that. I say to them, remember when we were kids and when I was a kid, maybe not you, Doc? Mm -hmm. The 25-year mortgage was the standard. That was the most the banks would lend you. Then guess what? It went to 30 years. And- we're all still paying as much of our income now as we were then, which means we all borrowed more and pushed house prices up. Is that really not going to happen this time? As John Elliott would say, pigs per it is going to go up. If there are 35-year mortgages, house prices will go up. We'll be in more consumer debt. We will spend less in the physical economy. How good is that as a recipe for economic success? It's not. Absolute disgrace. A 35-year mortgage... I don't blame Westpac for throwing up the flagpole. That's their job. They're a bank. They're entitled to make some interest. It is time for the regulator and the politicians to say, guys, enough. 35-year mortgages, huge thumbs down for me. Mm. Absolute debacle. should not be allowed to happen. Yes, the market gets to do what the market gets to do. More debt, more interest, more repayments is terrible for the Australian economy when we're already in tough economic times.
0: Do you feel good? I feel so much better. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Motley Fool Money. (laughs) Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, now I'm refreshed, man. I'm
1: ready for it. We're going to dip into the Fool mailbag as we do every week. We got a really kind of cool question a couple of weeks ago. We're catching up a little bit. So please do send us your Questions, comments, and feedback, we will uh, give you the details of that a little bit later, but get the, get the old pen ready, the, the iPhone, the, the mental, mental kind of notepad. The first one came from Nick Berger on Twitter. Now, he, he basically retweeted a tweet from another bloke and said, hey, Scott, what do you reckon? And I'm not going to answer. I'm going to make you answer it, Doc, because that's what I do. Uh-huh. This was just a really interesting kind of take on some economics of, of a particular business, and it doesn't, it's a US business, so we won't dwell a lot on that particular business in itself. Uh-huh. But an interesting idea of kind of the way some companies make money. The tweet said this: Starbucks has $1.2 billion in total unredeemed value on Starbucks cards, mm-hmm. which is like a 0% loan from customers. So in America, you can buy, you put credit in your Starbucks card now, use it over the next 12 months or two years or five years. They've got the money now. I don't get the coffee for a couple of months or a couple of years. Mm-hmm. They get that money to use on their own behalf until I finally redeem it for my coffee. That in total is 1.2 billion bucks, which effectively it's customers have advanced Starbucks at 0% interest. Gets better, mate. It also recognised $145 million, mm-hmm. or 12% of that, as what they call card breakages, i.e. the value customers aren't expected to redeem. So not only are we giving them $1.2 bucks globally to use just for free, mm-hmm. effectively, 12% of that will never, ever, ever be used because mm-hmm. we dropped, lost, broke, uh, rolled over, threw away our cards. Mm-hmm. Is it... I wouldn't say this is a rort necessarily, but it's not a bad way to make money, right? If I if I could if I could kind of loan out my future earnings, knowing that I could borrow it for free, and that I would actually end up getting twelve percent more than I think I'm going to get, that's kind of like a negative twelve percent interest rate they're paying for the privilege of doing business. And Nick says, Scott, is this worth a deep dive on this week's show? And I wrote, I don't have a deep dive. I think we're going to talk about it though, because. I, again, I don't know about a rort, but it's about as close as it gets, right? If I knew I could do that, I'd be doing it every day of the week.
2: So I love this question. And uh, I am actually a Starbucks shareholder. So I, I love this. Oh, you-
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm happy sta- to say I don't have a Starbucks card, mate. You'd be happy to know.
2: Uh, I've, I've been a shareholder for over like you know, six, seven years now. <laughs> um, it's a, a, this is an example of a great brand leveraging its great position. <laughs> to screw its to- customers. To make customers happy <laughs> by letting them put money so that they can have coffee in the future. I mean, oh, you know, this man. is what this is what happens when you have, like, basically any awesome brand um, is able to do these mm. things, right? I mean, um, you know, people load up iTunes, right? And yeah. Apple never discloses how much I think they have on iTunes, <laughs> but I'm, I'm guessing it's a few few billion. Um, so, you know, I, I think yeah, it's just an example of. Again, great brand power. It's free cash, basically. I mean, isn't it? It, it, on, on the. So free. Okay, on the balance sheet, it'll sit as a liability, right? So, I mean, from a technicality point of view, it's a liability. It's a that pretty they have.
1: bloody good liability to have, isn't it?
2: Yeah. like, But, you know, great brands have an ability to attract money. <laughs> not so good brands don't have the ability to attract money. The other thing,
1: too, is this $1.2 billion is not buying $1.2 billion worth of coffee. Like, the profit margin of coffee yeah. are probably still 70%. So, effectively, getting $1.2 billion up front. <laughs> Something that's going to cost them, what, three or $400 million to fulfill? Yeah. So they're already making money they are already making profit on the purchase anyway and they're getting that all up in front man
2: yeah but i mean you know the company like starbucks probably takes all that cash and puts it in like you know us treasury so they're actually not making any money on that cash really like i oh, mean how much are the, how much of the us treasury <laughs> going to pay them it's probably going to pay them like 1% right um, except you know. except for the
1: breakage's money right they get they never going yeah, to get so really.
2: the breakage's money i get but the breakage's money you know like i think that will disappear over time because mm. you know i believe most of the cards now so have transitioned to electronic right That's so people point. Using everything on the phones now, so this is probably from historic. You lose cards. your phone, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So even point. if you lose your phone, you have not lost your account, right? Mm. I mean, you know, if you get another phone, it basically. So I think that twelve percent. I think that goes.
1: I have to ask, mate. Last <laughs> uh, question. Unless
2: it's people dying and stuff, I don't know what happens then.
1: <laughs> it's a bit my dude. Let's not go there. It's Friday morning. Come on. It's almost the weekend. It's a blue, sunny. It's a beautiful day in Sydney.
2: You know, people do die. Are happy? Well, you know, if people did not die and companies like, you know, the the funeral home companies, they would not be happy.
1: I look forward to Starbucks funding people's funerals with their Starbucks card balances. <laughs> Mate, uh, one last question. Who the hell preloads credit on Starbucks card when there's tap and go? Like, I, I get it in a non-credit card world. If you don't have five bucks in your wallet, yeah, I've got my phone always on me. I've yeah. got my wallet always on me. I've got a million ways to tap and pay. Uh, am I? Uh, uh, who is mad enough to go and say, oh, you know, I'm going to put hundred bucks on my Starbucks card. Rather than tap the credit card or the debit card on the way through.
2: So, this is the illusion of, um, of discounting, right? right? So, you know, you buy a Starbucks card somewhere
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, that says if you buy like $100 of Starbucks credit, I'm going to give you 10% discount.
1: Oh, okay. Right. So that's why people are doing
2: it. Well, like, you know, like I buy iTunes cards when they're on 50%. Yeah. It's, you know, like, I mean, if I if I think about the time value of money and things like that, then maybe I shouldn't. But, you know, when I see that 15% discount, mm. I'm okay. like, oh, 15% less. <laughs> I'm going to get it now. The sirens
1: are calling you the sirens the are, you know, so I load up on the card because it can
2: pay for my Apple Music <laughs> and everything else that I'm going to buy in the future. But, you you're like, you know, I'll have a few hundred dollars sitting on the uh, iTunes card and, and on, on the iTunes account, right? And it's pretty normal. I can
1: save you a fortune, mate, stop using iTunes
2: captain i use good quality things you know did, did i say i have starbucks high quality brands
1: oh right? let's not let's not get low let's not get the coffee let's not get in a starbucks high quality
2: it's a high quality brand
1: with poor quality coffee arguably
2: that doesn't matter as long as it makes money it's high quality
1: <laughs> Modly full money mate we got a question from george k on twitter he says he's addressed it to me but i assume it's for both of us hi mate love the podcast with yourself and doc how good's that that's awesome. Is it your brother, George, or my brother, George?
2: Uh, not my brother.
1: Must be my brother. I don't have a brother, George. Maybe it's, it's not you in a, with no, a fake no, account.
2: No, no not, not I don't use? have fake accounts. I have hardly one account that I can manage. He says, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit confused on how CGT,
1: capital gains tax, is calculated on a portfolio where one regularly contributes into an ETF, say 1000 bucks a month, and then needs to sell the entire portfolio in one hit. Good question, George. One of those, we don't do a lot of kind of this technical kind of tax stuff or investing stuff, but a really good question from George, a really good concise, succinct question, Mm -hmm. which we'll try and answer relatively concisely and succinctly. Mate, George contributes regularly to an ETF. He wants to sell it or he may have to sell it on one hit. How the hell does CGT or capital gains tax work?
2: Well, I would think that CGT, again, this is not a tax advice. Mm-hmm. I, I Talk to your accountant. Yeah. Um, do not advice. use my advice <laughs> to to do your taxes because if it's wrong, if you do, I am not responsible. sue
1: him and not me. That's right. Uh,
2: no, sue, for, for if you need money, you just sue Captain. <laughs> he, he, he lives in Metagong, you know, in a nice, beautiful rural area. Um, so, And he's got a dog.
1: Man, I need the uh, petrol money. Come on. Uh,
2: okay. So if technically, your brokerage should have account of when a transaction was made. Mm -hmm. Based on when a transaction was made, that date basically qualifies as your buy date. So if you have bought 10 units or 10 shares of an ETF today, you, that particular shares need to be held for more than a year, or one year or more, mm-hmm. to qualify for the capital gains tax benefit, right? So you'd basically look at every unit or instalment of purchase, and mm-hmm. you basically decide on that. So if you've got some that you've held for more than a year and some that you didn't, you pay more on the one that you didn't hold, and you pay less on the one that you did hold. Yep.
1: Yeah. So George, basically, if you if you bought if you'd bought say over five years, let's say let's say yearly over five years to make it simple. You bought the first lot at a buck, the second lot at two bucks, second lot at third, three bucks. Let's assume the share price was nice and linear. The last lot at $5 on the way through and four in the middle. Um, effectively, as you sold each for, say, five bucks... Your capital gains tax liability is calculated on each individual parcel. Now, if you're doing it monthly, that effectively, in in accountant speak, in tax speak, is a separate parcel of each different transaction, and each transaction has its own cost base, to use the accounting term, and its own sell price, and the difference between those two is simply your profit on the trade. It's a little bit complicated if you have to get all that paperwork, and as we would always say, please keep your paperwork up to date because you don't want to get yourself in trouble if you have to somehow work out what your tax liability is. But effectively, your liability is calculated at each of those purchases, um, so you bought some at one, two, three, four, and five. You bought some at five. Obviously, some have a, a larger liability than others, and they are all individually calculated, as Doc says. And as we would always say, if you want to, well, you don't necessarily. I wouldn't necessarily keep them just over here, just for the sake of tax, because you might lose money in the meantime. But if you're going to sell, just be mindful of what you bought when, as Doc says, so your tax is calculated appropriately. Decent answer. Mm-hmm. We got a question from Travis, mate. Now, I. To be fair, I didn't want to read this question.
2: I love this question.
1: T- Travis. It's a great question. Travis, have a good hard look at yourself, mate. You've got massive, massive issues. Travis says, hey, Scott, love the show. Thank goodness an ear is back. I, I, I don't even... Travis, mate, you just said the right thing. I don't even know what to do with that, mate. Yeah, it's great. Travis, you're a, you, need, you need help. Dude. Come on, be, be, be reasonable. I have feelings, Travis. I, I'm, a, I'm a human being. I'm a person. I, I feel pain. I don't know why you want to be like that.
2: He said love the show.
1: Yeah, but I think you know anyway. Travis has a, quick, a question <laughs> over three near identical ETFs. With three ETFs all tracking the top 200 companies on the ASX, why are their share prices different? Aren't they tracking the same thing? With the ASX being the recent, so one particular one, the A200, being the recent darling due to its low fees, its share price is now $111 compared to IOZ at $27, why would I buy A200? So these are three different products. All tracking the same index, all with different unit prices. They call them unit prices rather than share prices. Same thing. Travis's question is a really good one, mate. So, if three products are all tracking the same index, how can their share prices be different?
2: But it doesn't. It it's a, the simple answer is it depends on the number of units that have created, right? right? So, if you have more units, the share price per unit share price goes down. If there are mm-hmm. less units, the so per unit share price goes up. The other factors could be um, so effectively they all will track in terms of percentage returns their benchmark or they should closely track their benchmark if they are right. good indices um, and the other thing is that you know the the tracking error will depend on again how they implement the uh, the tracking, right. So is it, you know, uh-huh. are they doing a quarterly balance as, um, or, you know, are they doing daily balance or mm-hmm, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. they're doing, whatever is the process. So that's going to decide some of the tracking error. And then the, um, the, well, they should be doing quarterly balance if they're doing, uh, um, uh, S X two hundred right because that's right. In the S and ASX X two hundred which basically does a quarterly rebalance. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they shouldn't. Re- and the other thing that will matter is the fees. Yeah. Right, if the fees are different, then that that will contribute to the tracking error. Right, right. Uh, or well, I shouldn't call it a tracking error. Really, the difference between uh, the benchmark. The, yep. Yeah, the the performance of the things. So that, those are the things. So yeah, it, there's no such thing as you know lower. You know, again, I just re- use this to reiterate one point. Lower share price doesn't for, you know, just the low value of the share price means nothing. The high value Mm -hmm. of the share price means that there are Mm -hmm. stocks which are, uh, Berkshire Hathaway is like, you know, several thousand dollars, mm-hmm. uh, not several thousand, several hundreds of thousand dollars for the mm-hmm. share.
1: Um, $306,000 last count. Yeah,
2: but I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, yeah, right. of course, you have to buy one, therefore, it, you know, it costs you a lot more money. But <laughs> yep. uh, for 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 all intents and purposes, all that you really care for for any investment is mm-hmm. the percentage increase. Right. Right. So And, and the dollar you've invested. So you okay. invest a certain dollar amount, you want to know how much the dollar amount and the percentage basis goes up yep. or down.
1: So Travis, let me let me add some color to that. If you've got two companies, both worth a million dollars at market cap, so the whole business worth a million bucks, one of the companies has 10 shares, they're worth $100,000 each. One company has a million shares, they're worth a dollar each. Which company is cheaper? The answer is they're exactly the same value. They're both worth a million dollars. They're just slicing up the pie in a different size slice. To Doc's point, that's what he means by the number of units on issue. In some cases, they're simply just a different calculation of the same base. Now, if there's one at $27 and one at $111, just to choose those two numbers you gave us, if the index goes up 10% next year, you can be reasonably assured the $111 one is worth $122, give or take, and the $27 one goes up to $29.70, which is 10% on both. So it's the gain you're going to make will be the same proportionally as DOCS is with the exception of fees. And kind of going back to that, we would always say at the Motley Fool, I think I'm fair right by saying it. Yeah, incorporating everyone's view on this, um, you should always go with the lowest fee solution. As long as the provider is a decent, reputable provider and they're doing the right thing, low fees always beat higher fees almost exclusively. Um, We particularly like Vanguard because they're not-for-profit, so they're going to more likely to have lower fees over time. Uh, But in any case, lower fees are almost always the best one. So if you're saying which one to choose, again, all else being equal, and we haven't looked at these in detail, but all else being equal, if they're all run by reputable providers, Go with the one with the lowest fees.
2: I'll just quickly add that you know, low fees as long as you're looking at the same index. So, like you know, it's oh, the course. same index. it's totally. yeah. so the same product. Same compared. product. Yep. If you're if you're re- replicating an S and P two hundred, uh, S and X two hundred, then right. you know, then they should be following the thing. Um, then yeah, the lower- yes. If
1: you choose between an ASX 200 and a Nasdaq, for example, then fees are less important directly. Yeah, it's more about the product you choose. or a product first that has the greatest after fee expected yeah. return. Yeah, or the best diversification benefit. Whatever else you're doing, but yeah, I should have yeah. that.
2: And and there are hundreds of ETFs these days right. which are, because they have active strategy ETFs as well, right? Which I are hate doing, those. which are doing like all bunch of different things. Well, I don't hate all of them, but you know, like it's good to know that there, you know, that there was something that looks like ASX 200, but it's not really ASX 200.
1: <laughs> I think that almost made sense.
2: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Jai, we've got a question from you, but we're going to hold that
1: to next week, and I'm going to try my best, Doc. Last time I did this and gave a, a teaser about a question, I forgot to do it the week after. So, Jai, hold me to this. Jai wants to know about infrastructure investments and tech stocks. And remuneration. He says, my second question might be more up Doc's alley. Again, Is Jai,
2: it my remuneration he's talking about?
1: Jai, if you want to keep asking questions of Doc, you are not going to have your question answered on this podcast. I am the star of this bloody show, and the quicker you find out, so you realize that, the better for us." He's
2: everybody. talking about my remuneration going up. I like
1: this. No, he's talking about tech stock remuneration, dude. Oh, darn.
2: Although I'm not entirely
1: sure you're not on the payroll at Apple, based on your kind of regular pronouncements of joy and light from the company. <sighs>
2: are
1: you sure you're not getting remunerated by Apple for your positive comments? Is there any cash for comic going on here?
2: Not yet. I just want some shares. But, <laughs> not you
1: know, yet, he says.
2: Yeah, but and, and I probably buy more. <laughs> I buy a lot more of Apple stuff than the dividends I get. Let me put it this way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you make it back in in uh, proselytizing and, uh, and and evangelizing. Don't don't worry about that. You are you are you are well and truly worth more than your uh, your, your spending. Right. on that something note, horrible note, great note, funny note. I'm not sure depressing note. It's an
2: awesome note. Let's just say this awesome. The podcast is awesome. People love it.
1: If you want to get in contact with us speaking of which, you can email us info, info info at fool.com.au or hit us up on Twitter, much more fun, at the Motley Fool AU or I'm at TMF Scott P and Doc is at Anirban Mahanti. Hit us up on Twitter. Leave us a comment. Leave us a question. Give us some feedback. Be kind. And remember, as always, we don't care if you're positive about the podcast or not. We don't care at all whether you say nice things about me in particular. But if you don't, good luck getting your question answered on the podcast. That's probably enough. That is. is. Are we done? Yeah. That wraps us up. But before we go, don't forget you can and should subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a big rating on iTunes or that Android app. Leave us a review. Leave us a comment. Share it with your friends. Help them get a little dose of foolishness too. And you can... Get some of that straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash Triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. Stay tuned later in the week for our special money hacks edition. We'll be back next week with a regular podcast and another dose of foolish insight. Full Fool on. Full on.